Hi, and welcome back to Love in Quarantine. I am your host, Carly Shortino. So today I'm really excited because I'm speaking with someone who I've been a fan of for a really long time. Her name is Dr. Helen Fisher. She's an anthropologist, and she's become famous for her research on the brain chemistry of love. So I found out about her a handful of years ago. I had just gotten dumped for the first time. I think I was 27, 28, and I had never experienced heartbreak before then. And I just remember being so horrified by how embarrassing and cliche the whole thing is. Like, I remember this one time I was walking down the street and I saw this crate and barrel ad where a couple are happily buying a couch. And I literally started sobbing. And I was like, wait, I thought this was just something that Katherine Heigl did in like tragic movies. I didn't realize this was an actual human experience that would happen to someone ostensibly interesting like me. (laughs) Anyway, while I was dealing with my breakup, a friend of mine sent me a link to a TED talk by Dr. Helen Fisher called The Brain in Love. And in it, Dr. Fisher talks about a study that her and her colleagues did where they put a group of people who were madly in love into an MRI brain scanner some of whom were happily in love and some of whom had just been dumped. And what they found is that the same parts of our brain are activated when we fall in love as when we're high on cocaine, if one is high on cocaine. So if falling in love is like railing fat lines, then being dumped is essentially being forced to go cold turkey against your will. And like, for some reason was really comforting to me because it validated my whole like crackhead behavior situation, like making out with strangers that I met at the deli at 3 a.m. and like passing out drunk with my shoes on on a pile of Gatorade bottles. Um, And so ever since then, I've been a really big fan of Dr. Fisher. And in these past few months, she's been writing some really great articles about love during this time, particularly about how this period is really make or break for couples. And so clearly, stay-at-home restrictions are now lifting. But let's be real, our social lives are not going back to normal anytime soon, unfortunately. And many of us are still going to be working from home for the next few months, and some people indefinitely. So for those people in relationships, you know, we're going to be spending a lot more time with our partners and a lot less time with other people. So the question is, like, how do you manage that? For example, my boyfriend recently has taken to getting in the car and just driving, like not driving anywhere in particular, just away from me, (laughs) which honestly I get. No, but honestly, these moments of alone time are so important, no matter how much you love somebody. And so a lot of what I talked to Dr. Fisher about today is how do we make the best of spending all this time with the people that we love? So here goes. Um, so You've been writing a lot of great articles about love and relationships during this time that, you know, I've personally been finding very helpful. And you wrote this article in the New York Times called Cupid in Quarantine. You were saying in this article that you're confident that couples, you know, can not only survive this, but also thrive during this period. Why do you think that is? Any kind of catastrophe is going to lead forward or backwards. You're either going to grow together or you're going to grow apart. I mean, anytime there's any kind of real problem in in a catastrophe, people end up assessing what the situation is, and they make some decisions about whether they're going to go on and stick it out and work this one through, or they're going to say, well, you know, as soon as it's over, I'm out of here. Love is a sticky substance. You know, I and my colleagues have put over 100 people in a brain scanner, and romantic love is a basic brain system. Way down at the base of the brain, it's a drive, it's a craving, it's a motivation. This brain system doesn't die just because you're stuck at home. 
and neither does the brain system for attachment. So if you're in love with somebody and deeply attached to somebody, uh, you'll figure out a way to make this work. Yeah, I think like initially for me to give you some context, I live in LA. I live with my boyfriend. We've been together for um, almost a few years. We have our dog. We're living in LA, so we don't have like a tiny, tiny apartment, but we're still in an apartment. And I've been thinking recently, I've been reading online about how framing is really important, like how you frame this period. Because at the beginning of this, like a lot of people, I think I was just thinking like, okay, just get through this. This is like this weird transitional purgatory period. And then um, at the other end, we can like resume our lives. But I think, you know, what you're talking about is no, try and see this as an opportunity. And I think, do you think that even just framing it like that, like reminding yourself that this is also a period of your life that's not just like a waiting room, that that's helpful? I think, I think that's a wonderful point. For me, it's all, it, it has been definitely an opportunity. And, and, and curiosity, too. I mean, you know, and challenging, too. And by the way, any kind of challenge drives up the dopamine system in the brain and can give you energy and focus and motivation and, and even drive up feelings of intense romantic love. So I do see it as an opportunity. I love the way you said that. And framing is absolutely essential. I mean, I'm an anthropologist, and for millions of years, we lived in these little hunting-together groups, and nobody spent 24-7 with their partner <laughs> or their family. Nobody did. For millions and millions of years, men went off hunting at least four times a week. Sometimes they'd go out for several days. You know, women would go gathering and sometimes go to see friends or family for two weeks. We are a mobile, nomadic species, and this is a challenge. But I think there's all kinds of tricks to making this time at home the opportunity that it really is. There's something called intolerance of uncertainty. And people need to know basically what's going to go on today. What is the plan? When do I have time to myself? When do we have lunch and dinner? And I do think it's essential to create a daily schedule um, and also create a safe space. You're saying create a schedule and also create a safe space. Like, What do you mean by a safe space? Well, a space that when you're in that particular space, um, nobody can reach you. It's as if you are out of the house. And for years, I lived with a man. We were both writers, and we lived basically in one room. And we really worked about five feet apart. But we would never discuss anything until lunchtime at 1230. It was just a safe space. And children need that safe space, too, a place where you can do exactly as you please, and nobody's going to bother you. Now, my boyfriend, fortunately... He's got a bigger apartment, so I've got a room of my own uh, to work in. And if he's going to come in, he knocks and he asks me if this is the right time. Or he'll even email me with something he'd like to say. Autonomy is something the human animal needs. Uh, and when you don't have a safe space and some sort of control over your environment, people will feel helpless and sometimes angry. So you've got to have a safe space. You've got to have a schedule. And I think you also have to have time to play. Play is very important. I mean, play really drives up uh, the dopamine system in the brain. It's just very good for even the immune system. And so there's all kinds of things that you can do with somebody during this lockdown. That, and things that you haven't done before. I mean, go through old photographs together. Plan a vacation. That's really an important thing. Dress for dinner. In fact, one night, uh, my boyfriend was his birthday. 
So I said to him, well, you know, well, what, can, let's dress for dinner and have something very fancy. So I got all dolled up and I was, you know, putting uh-huh. out the hors d'oeuvres and lighting the candles. And he showed up from the bedroom in his tuxedo. <laughs> he was so gorgeous. So bottom line is, is all, you know, take a walk, story time, tell each other stories, dance together, even if you can't dance, cook something different, read to each other. I mean, this is, it, this is all possible and it's new and novelty, as I said, drives up the dopamine system in the brain and can sustain feelings of romantic love. Right. I think what you're saying about space is really interesting. And specifically when you said, you know, I live in this tiny apartment and we worked five feet from each other, but we were able to give each other space. And I think that that's, you know, thinking outside the box a little bit. Like I know a ton of my friends live in New York and people keep saying, give each other space. And they're like, we live in a a studio apartment, a one bedroom apartment. How is that possible? And you're saying like space is what you make of it, right? Because yeah, I, think I did it for enormous- 20 years with this guy. And, uh, you know, I was sitting in this tiny little dining room table and he had a desk and we were almost back to back. So, I mean, discuss, listen, you want to reach me, text me. And, and it might start out as a party game, but it'll end up being something that everybody realizes is very comforting. And then if you've got a tiny little bedroom, leave and say, I'm going to go into the bedroom. I'll be back at five. And, uh, and then send some sweet notes to each other. Uh, I miss you <laughs> from the bedroom. Right. And the other person is going to be perfectly happy respecting your alone time because they get their alone time too. And the human animal is built for that. Yeah. You know, we've been doing, we haven't been planning a vacation, but we have been looking at um, real estate blogs and just like houses that sold and are in LA at very, you know, last year. And what kind of house would we one day have? And just this idea of um, fantasy is, that's right. I think fantasy really helping. Right. Yep. Because it's getting you out of the house and this fantasy is enabling you to go someplace else and do something new. And, you know, this novelty is, is, is essential to a, a partnership. But, you know, there's three brain systems that evolve from mating and reproduction. One is the sex drive. Second is feelings of intense romantic love. And third is feelings of deep attachment. And I do think that this third brain system of attachment can be strengthened also during this lockdown. I think you can begin to really appreciate what somebody does every day. I mean, I had a girlfriend who said, well, I never realized that what he did all day, but now I can listen in on some of his calls. I can see how busy he is. No wonder he doesn't call me at lunch hour. I get it now. What what if it's the opposite and you see your partner work from home and it's suddenly like, wait, that's your job? Like you literally do nothing. And then that becomes an an aphrodisiac because you realize that they're a lot lazier than you thought they were going to be. Well, there's no question about it that, you know, (laughs) you're going to go together or you're going to go apart. And if you suddenly realize that, uh, oh, my God, that's what they do all day. They watch dumb television and and eat bonbons and stuff. You know, when we get out of here, I'm 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 away. <laughs> I mean, you know that data about China that the number of divorces skyrocketed. But what they didn't tell you is how many people decided to marry. You know, they study things like hurricanes and and uh, tornadoes and floods, and and they do find that there's an enormous uh, uptick in marriages after these sorts of situations. Also, yeah. I think that I've seen a lot in my friends. It's kind of a make or break. I mean, in some very obvious ways where 
like a lot of people are being forced into the decision of whether or not they want to live together during this period, whether they want to quarantine together. So that's a really obvious one, right? That's very interesting and very scary. And it's a, it's a real plunge. And the real problem with that is, you know, this quarantine is not, it's very artificial. There's all kinds of marriages or relationships that could work if it wasn't in the quarantine, if they just decided, well, we're going to live together, but, you know, I still want to go need to see my mother on Sundays and I need to do this on Thursday nights. And in other words, this is a very artificial situation. This really is not the same as living together. And I mean, I haven't thought of this before now, but the bottom line is it's so artificial that there's various people who might go into this saying, oh, I guess this isn't going to work. When in fact, it would work under normal circumstances. It's just so stressful and it's so new that they, they can't do it. You know, I mean, for example, my boyfriend and I, we do something called LAT, Living Apart Together. And for several years now, I mean, I've always kept my own apartment in New York. He's always kept his apartment in the Bronx. And two or three nights a week, I go into my own apartment and I generally go out with girlfriends or do something at night by myself. And he loves being at home and doing his thing. And uh, I mean, you've got to do it with somebody you trust. We trust each other. But this living 24-7, as I said, is not, not normal for the human animal. So it's a shame that people will, will, will get into the quarantine situation and think that this won't work, when in fact it could work under normal circumstances because they spend enough time going off to the office, meeting other friends, going out together to the movies, doing novel things outside the home. Right. That's so interesting. Yeah, like I have a friend in France who she had just started dating this guy a few months before they were in that really sexy period of the relationship. It was really, you know, emotionally intense and sexually intense. And then they tried to quarantine together and then it lasted a couple of weeks and then they both bailed back to their parents' house. Um, but they were living in this time. <laughs> they were like, and well, they no. try it again under normal circumstances. Unless they really discovered things about each other that were horrific. Then, then, then it's good. This, what's beautiful about this in some ways is it's pushing you to know more about yourself and the people around you. And, you know, let's say you're in a sort of a mediocre partnership and then you decide, well, you're going to live, you know, quarantine together. And you discover, oh, this is really much better than I thought it was. Or they discover, geez, this is never going to work. And so it pushes them to take the next step in life. And I think that's good. Yeah, that is something I think is so interesting is that people are, making major steps right now like what we were talking about deciding to get married divorce have kids move in but then, but then at the same time like what we were just talking about it's such a weird time it's like you have to sort of wrap your head around the fact that this is also your life so it's not a waiting room but it's also so weird that like you can't expect that life to be exactly like this afterward um That's right. or your relationship That's right. to be exactly like this afterwards so is it actually a time to make these big leaps I think, it, or, I think it forces us to make these big leaps. Uh, and by the way, I mean, life is always changing. I mean, people have the assumption that then you get married, you shut the door, and everything remains exactly the same from that day until the day you die. Couldn't be farther from the truth. We're constantly adjusting to new situations with each other. And this is one of them. Now, this is a quite um, striking one, but there's equally striking ones when somebody loses their job, when somebody just gets a big job when somebody suddenly has an offer to to go to China for two years and do you come or do you 
come with them or not. And, you know, I mean, you know, life has its ups and downs, and 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 this is one of them. And like many others, it's an opportunity, just like you said. It's not only my friends who are in relationships who are making these huge decisions or who are reprioritizing, right? Like a lot of single people I know are making major changes in in both their dating life and also in certain ways what they're looking for, right? You've been you wrote some articles on this or at least one that I've read about a, a reprioritizing of single people. Is that right? Yes. Oh, it's really there's many things that are interesting. Actually, I wrote a second article for the New York Times in which I talk about this is a wonderful opportunity for singles. First of all, they got more time to meet people and they got something meaningful to talk about instead of just chit chat. And so they're going to do more self-disclosure and self-disclosure does bring intimacy and romance and attachment. So the time really is is right. And of course, sex is off the table. I mean, you know, when you just meet somebody and you go out with them for a first date, you've got to decide, you know, is he going to kiss me? Should I kiss him? Do we invite him over to my house? I mean, what do we do? That's gone. Sex is gone. And so is money. You don't have to decide, you know, if you're going to go to a cheap cafe or a fancy bar or who's going to pay the bill or do you offer to split it. It's gone. It's a wonderful time to court. But most important, and back to what you asked me, is what we're really seeing is the emergence of a new stage in the courtship process. Prior to this uh, pandemic, People met on the internet. I mean, these are not dating sites; they're introducing sites. They were introduced to people, they met them, and then they went out and met them in person. Now there's this intermediate stage of staying home, you meet the person, and then you do sometimes hours of talking versus uh, on on face on FaceTime or Zoom, and you talk to them on the internet. So without the sex, without the money with the time, with something to talk about. And I really do think that this is a new stage in the courtship process. And I think it's going to be part of the weeding out process. They're going to weed out more people so that by the time they go out and actually meet somebody, now they know, yes, I'd like to kiss him. I'd like to kiss her. Yes, I'm fine spending the money and the time to go to a nice bar or a nice restaurant. So the courtship process is slowing down. And we're seeing the expansion of getting to know somebody before the sex, before the issues of money, and before that first date. And I think that after this pandemic um, recedes, we're going to continue to do that because it's easier. So I think we're going to see fewer first dates, but I think the first dates, official first dates, are going to be much more meaningful and much less stressful. Right uh, before we spoke, uh, something came over my internet. It's a study, and I think uh, Harvard MIT is involved in it. But anyway, they're saying that uh, 58% of, of singles are going to be more cautious. Uh, they're going to spend more time screen dating. They're going to have fewer dates, which is exactly what I had predicted. Um, and 41% say that they're now looking for a more serious relationship. And that doesn't surprise me because this is the kind of time where you really look around at your assets and you notice what you got and what you don't have and what you need. And I do think it's going to push people to court more seriously and perhaps settle down. Okay, that's the crazy part because this is something I feel like I've seen in my friends. So, you know, in our first episode, actually, we had this girl on who had been virtual dating a lot and she 
um, I, I didn't know her personally, but I feel like she's was it what she was saying was in line with a lot of what my friends were saying too, which is that, you know, we are the type to go on dates and have sex pretty early on um, if that's what we want, right? It's uh, some self-identify as slutty, which I, which I respect. So in one of my studies with Match.com, I asked, you know, you know, have you ever had sex before a first date? And 34% said yes. I think that is right. going to change. Right. And, but I guess the question at the middle of this is that I think people say bringing back courtship is good. Like courtship is, is a worthwhile process. But then I think what I want to ask is the kind of dumb question at, in the middle of that, which is like, why? Like, why is prolonged courtship and waiting to have sex? Like, why is that good? Okay. So I'm not in the good, bad business, but here's some facts. I've looked at 80 societies through the demographic yearbook of the United Nations, and I've got data from 1947 to 2011. And everywhere in the world, the later you marry, the more likely you are to remain married. And um, there's data on 3,000 Americans, very very new data, showing that um, the longer you court before you wed, the more likely you are to create a stable, happy partnership. And the courtship process is slowing down. This pandemic is slowing down the courtship process. It's, it's enabling people to get to know each other on a pretty remarkable level. I mean, as I say, this self-disclosure. I mean, people these days are not talking about how to train their dog to to catch a ball. They are talking seriously about their lives, their disappointments, their hopes, what they're doing, what they're learning, uh, how they feel, and not only worldwide data shows that the later you, you, you wed, the more likely you are to stay together. But my data on brain physiology clearly shows that romantic love can be triggered instantly. It can be triggered instantly. Love at first sight is even easy to explain. It's like the fear system. Boom. Again, right time, right place, right kind of person walks by and trigger that brain system. You can, you're off of the races. You're mad at up. But feelings of attachment grow slowly. And what this pandemic is doing is enabling people to slow down that courtship process. And with the fear of getting infected from having sex with somebody, people are going to, once they even meet somebody, they're not going to hop into bed with them right away. By the way, I'm not surprised that an awful lot of people have been sleeping with somebody before the first date because you learn a lot between the I'm not suggesting it, but you learn a lot between the sheets. I mean, not only... Do you learn, the, you know, how they make love? But are they, can they listen? Uh, do they have a sense of humor? Uh, uh, can they change and, 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 and help you out? Uh, so um, I'm not surprised that uh, prior to this pandemic, men and women were using sex really as an interview or using sex to trigger the brain circuitry of romantic love and attachment. They were using it for various courtship purposes. And I think that element of courtship is going to come much later. I, I'm very impressed with millennials. These people want transparency. Sure, they have their one-night stands. They can have fewer, I think. But, um, you know, they invented the term DTR, define the relationship. And when I asked this national representative sample of singles, how long do you go out with somebody before you have that define the relationship conversation? And they said four months. Now, I wouldn't have done that in two years. The young are serious, and this is 
This pandemic is making them more serious, more cautious. They're going to spend a longer time getting to know people. And from a Darwinian perspective, that's adaptive. Man, okay, wait, I have a million things I want to say. But first, okay, what I think is interesting is that you're saying that, you know, let me put it like this. A lot of people I knew before this period of time were really enjoying their period of singledom and hooking up and not even just one night stands, but just like dating a few people, having meaningful friend with benefits, romantic friendships with people at the same time. And now I think that there has been a shift and I'm seeing in a group of friends who, you know, are I have a very sort of, I would guess, sexually adventurous, I would say, group of friends. I'm suddenly seeing this thing where sexual freedom is a little bit less sexy. Yeah. You know, I wonder whether your friends are really as honest with themselves as possible. Uh, even on Tinder, the studies show that 80% of people who are on Tinder are looking for some sort of relationship. And when I asked uh, uh, in the Singles in America study I do with Match, you know, have you ever had sex with somebody and had it turn into a long-term partnership? And 35% of people say yes. So I'm wondering whether your friends who really want to sleep around with a lot of people, it is my guess, it's my guess that in their heart of hearts, they're trying a lot of people out. And, mm-hmm. uh, and in fact, uh, if they find one that uh, really appeals to them, they'll get into some sort of partnership with them. And by the way, I study uh, friends with benefits, and there's a lot of rules for friends with benefits. Um, among the rules, uh, you can't have sex with, you can't have another a second friends with benefits relationship with somebody else. Um, they have to agree on who you tell and who you don't tell. Um, they have a lot of, of rules and taboos on how this is supposed to work. So I don't think casual sex is as casual as everybody seems to think it is. And I also don't think the young are having anywhere near as much sex as they did in in my generation. I'm a, I'm a baby boomer. And uh, the data shows that uh, the young today are much more cautious. Um, sure, you guys are having sex, but you want transparency. If it doesn't work, you want to get rid of it. And you don't want to waste your time and energy on things that have no meaning for you. And sure, you might be having your one night stands, but I just don't think that you're flitting like rabbits from one to the next for no purpose at all and just having a good time. Hard for me to believe that. Right. I think you're right. I think the idea that you can sort of remove emotions from sex is ridiculous. I mean, in my opinion, and also why would you want to? And I think a big question that I have after this is whether or not there will be a period of like intense promiscuity or, or sluttiness or, you know, sexual freedom, sexual revolution, where people will want to, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Like express their sexual freedom as much as they can, or if there'll be like a period of sexual reticence. I think it's going to be the reticence because I think people are scared of this virus, but to your larger question, you know, once somebody's locked down and then they get out of jail, so to speak, uh, until they just run wild. And my answer is no. We have certain personalities. And, I mean, let's take the the the, the idea of, of a bar. Now, let's say if we were all not allowed to drink for a while. Would we go out and get drunk for the next year? Probably not. You know, today, right this minute, uh, I mean, once this place opens up, you know, there's a bar on every corner uh, in New York City. 
to. You can get drunk anytime in New York City. And not everybody does because they don't feel like it. It's because it's 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 because it's who they are. And a person who's gonna be, you know, uh some people are very careful about who they sleep with. And I do not think that just because suddenly the world opens up, they're going to change their personality and sleep around. I just don't think so. We are who we are. We have personalities. These personalities don't change a great deal over the course of your lifespan. I study personality, the genetics of personality. And if you're a person who's a cautious person, you're going to be cautious. If you're a person who sleeps around all the time, you will go back to sleeping around all the time. But no, I don't think we're going to change our personalities because of this uh, lockdown. How crazy, right? It's so crazy to me that that this shift can happen so quickly. I mean, I see it in myself in small ways, right? Like I always kind of rejected the idea of domesticity. I I mean, I was an idiot in a lot of ways. I was like, I'm an independent woman. I don't cook like as if those things are like mutually exclusive. <laughs> and I've started cooking all the time. You know, you were saying, you know, bring in novelty. And I don't think mm. that when this is over, I'm just going to like throw out all the new pots and pans. I I bought. You know, I think that... Perfect. Now, I think people are scared of saying that anything good could come out of this. You know, people, eventually we will get beyond this. I mean, by the way, there's always been viruses. This is not the first time in human evolution where people have had a real shakedown. And I do think that we're going to have many, many more discussions on all the kinds of people who really died because they couldn't get to a hospital because of some other need or you know, or can't feed their families. And I mean, the fallout of all this is just going to be astronomical. Yeah, no, completely. I mean, it sounds, it's, it is primitive, but to just like the threat of you losing your partner makes you love them and appreciate them a lot more in that moment. That's exactly right. That... It's a time of tremendous appreciation. And, uh, and, you know, I mean, the world will be different, at least for a while. But I think we will appreciate our partners more or we'll appreciate them a whole lot less and we'll move on to find somebody who we do appreciate. Right. Both good, though. Yeah, both good. Well, thank you so much for listening. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and give us a rating. It makes me feel very cool. Loving Quarantine is created and produced by me, Carly Shortino, and Rachel Rapkin. Produced in partnership with Blue Duck Media. See you next week.